HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high. No bad look in his eye. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. On the phone today... I've got a good old buddy of mine, Adam Harris of Maker's Mark. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, Damon. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. It's good to hear you. Nice to hear from you as well. How's things up in New York? Awesome, man. We miss you. Yeah, I like, I like being there, but uh, things are good down here as well, so no complaints. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you up to down there? Oh, well, you know, I'm taking a little break to talk to you, and I thought to get into the spirit, I would crack open a little Maker's 46 and uh, enjoy it while I talk to you. <laughs> absolutely. So... Down in Austin, Texas, you're uh, representing Maker's Mark as a brand ambassador, events promotion. Um, seems like a really cool job to have. It's not bad, I've got to tell you. <laughs> and Austin's a great city to be doing it in, too. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite cities. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, let's get started in on uh, what you do with Maker's Mark, and you know, let's talk a little bit about the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, for starters, I think maybe it's just fair to let you know that as of the beginning of this year, I don't just cover Maker's Mark anymore for Beam. I actually cover the entire uh, super premium portfolio for the for the brands or for the for the company. Oh, awesome! So I also get all those great bourbons like uh, Jim Beam Small Batch Knob Creek as it starts to grow with the single barrel, and then uh, very excited to hear about the rye coming out this summer, as you probably are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, some other great stuff, but speaking strictly speaking, bourbon. I still take care of Maker's Mark and the uh, the other super premium bourbons, just not Maker's Mark solely. Cool. You, well, yeah. you got your hands full of. I do, glasses. I do. You know, <laughs> Texans are thirsty for bourbon. That's Too many right. of them are drinking Canadian whiskey right now, so I'm trying to get them all changed over. I know. Isn't that weird? I, you wouldn't think that, but uh, the studies have shown that the biggest selling whiskey in Texas is uh, uh, Crown Royal, right? That that is accurate, actually, and. Uh, you know, all, all respect to them. They've done a great job, but we're we're out here fighting the good fight for American whiskeys. Absolutely, cool, man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, last time I saw you, uh, I believe it was at Tales of the Cocktail. Yep. Uh, last summer. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, you, have any plans of going down there this year? You know what? I'm trying to get down there. They keep me pretty busy here, but right uh, as of the moment, I'm still lobbying my case to uh, let them go down there and have fun with you guys for a couple of days. Awesome. Any plans for coming up to the uh, Manhattan Cocktail Classic next month? As of right now, not yet. Not yet. Cool. Well, I uh, hope 
that I get to see you at either one of them this year. I know, likewise. I, um, you know, it's pretty busy down here. They've got me uh, taking care of, you know, we're doing dinners, we're doing events, we're showing people how to use bourbon in new and interesting ways. Uh, just this week, we have the uh, Hill Country Wine and Food Festival. Oh, yeah. uh, we have the Live Fire event tomorrow. And last week, we did a, a little fun event with the public that came over to... Uh, shop and they sampled three different makers mark summer cocktails that we were going to uh they could then vote on and jury to see which would be the official drink of live fire tomorrow so we're really happy to be serving the what i'm calling the hill country sparkler which (laughs) is uh makers mark a little uh ruby red texas grapefruit juice um some homemade lemongrass syrup some chili powder just to go along with barbecue and to keep texas going yeah and then uh some soda water nice yeah cool man we're still making drinks yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I like about going to Austin is the uh, the bar scene down there is very unique for the United States because they really use a lot of the local ingredients. Like there are a lot of oranges and lemons and grapefruit, and then also lots of chili and cocktails. Absolutely, so absolutely. Much, which is great. I think. I mean, like when you're down there and it's a hot day, it's really nice and refreshing to have something with a little kick to it. It sure is. Um, you know, we like to use, uh, there's a lot of chipotle in drinks, there's jalapeno everywhere. You know, we like to use local ingredients, local citrus, local honeys, uh, herbs that grow local gardens, community gardens, things like that. So Austin's food scene has certainly been growing, not just, I mean, before I got here, but definitely over the last three years that I've been back in the state. And it's kind of, it's, it's apparent in all the bars, it's apparent in many of the new restaurants and a lot of the old restaurants that are still, uh, still out there doing things, you know, what, what many people would consider to be the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of doing things the right way, let's uh, let's get back to uh, Maker's Mark. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the company? Oh, and, absolutely, right. absolutely. I'm sure you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope I can. Um, well, Maker's Mark, as you may or may not know, uh, was started over 50 years ago by a gentleman named Bill Samuel Senior, and he had 500 years of uh, whiskey making heritage running through his blood. And uh, he tried some other things, and lucky for us, he wasn't too successful at it. And so, all signs pointed for him to go back to making whiskey. And uh, Luckily, he had been making something called T.W. Samuel's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and uh, it was a little bit indicative of the post-prohibition style of bourbon that was going on at the time. Uh, a little bit rougher around the edges, you could say. Kind of blew your ears off when you took a drink. Yep. And he had an idea to create a bourbon that would be a little bit softer, a little less harsh, a little less spicy on the back of the palate. He wanted to move the flavor of bourbon to the front of the palate where your sweet taste buds are. And so what he did was, after uh, the story goes, baking several loaves of bread to uh, kind of uh, simulate what different mash bills would be, he settled on 70% corn, 16% soft red winter wheat, and 14% malted barley. And that was the the grain combination that was going to give his new bourbon the flavor that he wanted towards the front of the palate taking it from the back to the front, so no spice, a little bit more soft, a little bit more softness, excuse me, a little bit more sweetness. So he sold off the name T.W. Samuels, uh, swearing never to make that recipe again, burned the recipe in the fireplace uh, to be exact, and so there's some places here in Texas where you can find a bottle of T.W. Samuels in the well, several bars, and uh, that is not the Maker's Mark recipe. Right. Uh, some people have mistaken that in the past, but that is not the Maker's Mark recipe. That is actually the, uh, just the name of the previous stuff that the family was making. Yeah, I, that always confused me when I was down there in Austin because, you know, like, like Shaker Lodge and like all these other places, you'll see it totally behind yep. the bar. Yes. Uh, luckily for uh, that, that, you know, I've had several people kind of uh, asking me if that was, in fact, the original recipe, and I've had to uh, quickly turn them off of that rumor. <laughs> Um, so anyway, he comes off and he makes this bourbon, and he decides to make it a very uh, 
small batches. He decides to make it with uh, some might call back password technology. Can I say that on the radio? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and so using... Uh, Using ignoring total modern technologies, he sets off to make a bourbon. And all the things that he started back then are all things that we use today to make the same whiskey, just a little bit more of it. Right. So when we mill our grains, we use a roller mill as opposed to a hammer mill, which gently grinds the grains, not pulverizing it into a fine powder, which might scorch your grains. There's a lot of things that we do at the distillery that are really... Uh, a lot of the processes are there, in or, or the way that we do our processes are there to not scorch the grain before going into the whiskey. So if you impart some bitterness, if you scorch your grain, you might impart some bitterness on your final product. And obviously what I just told you, trying to be flavor forward, Maker's Mark doesn't want any bitterness in the whiskey. Right. So, so okay. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, so it goes from like using the roller mill as opposed to a hammer mill, using open air cookers to cook the mash. You know, our fermentation process takes about three days. And then also our low distillation helps to uh, not scorch those grains because obviously distillation proof is brought upon by heat. So we distill at some pretty low proofs for industry standards. Right. Don't you distill at uh, 130? That is correct. That's what our, our white dog comes off of, uh, the still at. So we go through the column still once, and then we go through our doubler. So it comes off the first part of the doubler copper pot at uh, uh, copper still, excuse me, at 120, and then it runs through the doubler and goes through the third pot, and that ends up being a... Uh, a 130, and that's our white dog or uh, high wine. Sure. And then then from there, where do you take it? Well, then we're going to add a little bit of water to bring it down to a barreling proof, and then we're going to put it in one of our uh, barrels. We have our wood, and our, our wood is aged to our specifications, made to sizes. The barrels are made to sizes of our specifications, a little bit differently, different than the industry. And then uh, we're going to let that age. First of all, we send it to the very top of the rickhouse where it spends the first three years of its life. And you get that nice accelerated uh, maturation happening inside the barrel because you get those extreme heats and those nice colds. So, you know, it's hard to say anything gets as hot as it does down here in Austin during the summertime. But in Kentucky, at the top of a seven-story rickhouse, you can imagine it'd be about 120 around July, August. Sure. So that wood's really swollen, and it's starting to, you know, pick up all that great white whiskey inside there and age, age into what it would become bourbon. And so <clears throat> after those three years, excuse me, after those three years, you end up, uh, we start to hand-rotate our barrels. So we have a 20-person ter- tasting panel that tastes the whiskey at least five times during its aging process. And it's then that we'll kind of figure out if that whiskey's coming in a little, uh, a little hot, as in like it needs to cool down, or if we need to bring it up a little bit, we'll start moving these barrels around by hand. And we're the only distillery that actually does that. Mm-hmm. The distillery's using full barrels of our size. So, you know, these guys that are moving these barrels around, it's 500 pounds of liquid. And you do not want to arm wrestle a single one of them. I guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you were talking about the uh, the uh, the aging of the wood, the staves before the barrels are built. Uh, yes. Sir. And I think something's really interesting about uh, Maker's Mark is that you guys just recently put out uh, a new product. Like you said, you were sipping on right now uh, the Maker's Forty Six. Indeed. And it has a very interesting process. Um, it's not. It's not forty six years old. No, um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the. We're gonna just hit on it f- quickly, and then we'll take a break in a couple of minutes and come back. But uh, can you get us started on the uh, conversation of what that means for a barrel? Because uh, obviously, there's we know that bourbon has to be brand new white oak and it has to be charred, and then from there, it's like, oh well, that seems simple enough. But there, there's a larger larger picture and a bigger process. So can you get us started on that? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, 
I don't know if I would. Uh, this might be a tip of the tip of the cap to some of the things that are happening with micro distillation out there. These micro distillers are having so much fun trying new things and new processes that, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that makers have been the first to notice, but there's certainly the bourbon industry in general. Some of the larger producers uh, have certainly taken notice of this, and you know, maybe it inspired a little bit of, um, you know, some of the bigger guys to go out there and have a lot of fun. You know, Buffalo Trace has been experimenting for some time. Uh, Woodford's been putting out their collector series for some time as well. And not to follow suit, but to see if we could do something different, I think it opened our eyes and uh, maybe allowed us a little bit to go out there and see what we could do. Yeah. And and main, uh, the main part of the 46 is the way that it's, the way the wood is treated, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, what happens is we use Maker's Mark as the base. So what I think is really great about it is the fact that when you taste Maker's 46, you still taste the bloodline and the heritage of the Maker's Mark family in the whiskey. But the real kicker and what makes it so unique and why this was an innovation in the industry overall is because we use uh, seared French oak staves that we put inside the barrel after we've actually given it the, uh, the okay to be Maker's Mark. We don't stop there. We'll put these seared French oak staves inside the American oak barrel. Hello? We'll let that age for a little bit longer, and so about two to three months. And we can only do it in the cool part of the year because we don't want the liquid going back into the original American oak, pulling out those tannins. We want it to absorb all that newly introduced wood sugar from the uh, limousine French oak, Oh yeah, which has been seared, not charred. So it's a little bit different as far as a direct heat and an indirect heat. So that's the searing process on those French oak staves. kind of caramelizes the sugars in a little bit of a different way. And it allows us to pull out really a great amount of uh, vanillins and things like that that you can obviously smell when you nose a glass of Maker's 46. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And it's it's such a cool process, I mean, because like you said, you know, Maker's has never really, you've, they've never put out a different uh, label. I yeah, you know, I almost had a heart attack about two and a half years ago when, uh, you know, we had, uh, I'd, I'd been so happy to talk about just one bourbon that we, we did forever and over 50 years of just one bourbon. And then when, you know, Bill, uh, Bill Samuels Jr., who just retired last year as our president, he, uh, he was starting to realize that, you know, he, he wasn't going to be working at the distillery or out there out in the market all the time. So he wanted to see if there was something that he could do to uh, contribute to the legacy of his family in the bourbon industry. So his headstone wouldn't just say, here lies Bill Jr. He didn't screw up mom and dad's business he wanted to see if he actually could do something that would contribute and it was that inspiration that gave him the idea for going after a certain flavor with makers 46 because we didn't reinvent the wheel with this we actually just wanted to see if we could give makers mark a little bit of a different dimension kick up the flavors that people already like and just add a little bit more uh, a little bit more to it to see if people would enjoy that as well absolutely you didn't build a different car you just put new wheels on the one you had anyway speaking yeah you got it <laughs> cool adam we're going to take a quick break when we get back we'll be talking uh, more maker's mark and more whiskey with adam harris down in austin texas Pleasure and 
White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meat that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. We've got Adam Harris from Maker's Mark and Beam Products on the line down in Austin, Texas. Um, It's actually kind of a rainy day up here, man. Uh, (laughs) How's it going down there? It's awesome. It's about... uh 85 and sunny down here. Oh, man. Jealous. <laughs> should be. Most people should be. <laughs> cool, man. Um, yeah, so when we took a break, we were just uh, talking a little bit about uh, the new product. Uh, well, pretty new. The uh, Maker's 46. Yeah, about we- two years in. Yeah, which you happen to be enjoying right in front of you right now. Yes, sir. I should have grabbed one before I came in here. I was a little late to the studio today. So I thought you, I thought you prepared for your shows. I, I try. I try. <laughs> I got, you, know, you know how it goes. I understand. But, um, uh, yeah, so I've been to the uh, Maker's Mark Distillery a few times, and it's just, it's a pretty magical place. I mean, it's just very picturesque. It's, I mean, it's functional, and the form is amazing. And yeah. And uh, one of the things outside of the, the beautiful production that's coming out of that beautiful place is, uh, I seem to remember you telling me something about some sort of, water renewal program that you guys have instilled or well we actually the wa- all the water that we uh pull out of our local lake when we do have our own lake on premises so we we use our own water we're not borrowing anybody else's water using any, anyone else's water we have the luxury of having our own uh water source right there on the premises of the distillery uh, we actually go through our processes in a way. We've had, we have very uh, environmentally conscious folks that uh, work at the distillery, whether they be uh, operations managers or master distillers themselves. They all have a, a very green sense about them and how they're going to make our whiskey. And so we actually do put, uh, excuse me, <laughs> we put um, cleaner water back into the stream than the stuff that we take out of the lake, which is uh, something that makes me proud as an environmental studies major back in college. That makes me proud to say that. Yeah, also, we have what we have, what we call the uh, anaerobic digester system, and that happens during our, that's how, it's a way of dealing with our spent mash. Um, we were the first American distillery to do that, so there were some rum distilleries that have been doing something similar for a while. We were the first American distillery to do it. It's a way of taking your spent mash, which is just that old corn, wheat, rye, barley, whatever it might be, rye if you're someone else, not at our distillery. But um, it's a way of taking that mash and the stuff that you can't sell off to farmers. Um, we take that and we're able to add an enzyme. We, we collect that, we add an enzyme to it, and the byproduct of a physical and scientific process there is uh, methane. And we're able to run that methane back through our, back through our uh, facility and use it to power our cookers. So we cut down on our... Uh, on our natural gas usage, raw natural gas usage. So all these little things kind of make, make Maker's Mark even more interesting. You see this beautiful setting, you go to the Victorian-style distillery, and to know, you know, the amount of bourbon we're able to make and to know that we're doing it in such a way that is uh, conscientious of the way the world's working, it's, it's pretty outstanding. That's amazing, man. Uh, it's, it's so cool that in this industry, you know, there, there are so many things that we can do to, to mm-hmm. make it better. And to see that uh, you know a seemingly 
for for an for just your average customer uh, that's buying Maker's Mark and doesn't really necessarily know much about the process, they probably think that it's a huge distillery, but it's exactly. it's a small farm. I mean, and it's it's you know you guys are doing like high volume out of there, but still managing to be economic or you know economically responsible. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's 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 just in the last couple of years that we've become a million case a year brand. And uh, that, that's quite something, considering we've been around for 50 years, and we've enjoyed the growing popularity that we've had ever since the 80s, you know, outside of the state of Kentucky. And to, to say that we've managed to grow it the right way, it's, it's something that's really special about makers. And it's also, you know, really neat to think about the fact that even though we're making considerably more whiskey, uh, considerably more whiskey than we used to in the beginning, uh, we still make 19 barrels at a time, which as far as production batch size is a really small batch. Sure. Now, we don't necessarily say small batch on our label, because that's, you know, that's, that's for other folks, but we, we just kind of stick to what we've always done, which is creating a very small batch from the beginning. Yeah. And, I mean, it's – I feel like the Maker's Mark, in a, in a way, kind of <laughs> – I might go too far out here in saying this, but in a way, it had – with the timing and, like, the packaging and the way that, that it's made – it's kind of like one of the first of this generation's like artisanal products, you know, like kind of probably helped in with like letting people know that they could run a small company and make a really cool product and get it out there. And, have, you know, like I said, beautiful packaging, which was uh, Mrs. Samuels doing. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that that, you know, article in the Wall Street Journal kicked it off and got it from uh, being a local product to. Uh, yeah getting all the place and that's exactly how all these companies are happening today i mean like you we're talking about buffalo trace i mean even though they're a bigger distillery you know like they're they're smaller brands you know getting out there but then we look at uh, places like tuttletown and uh you know like balconies down in where you know your neck of the woods oh they're great yeah they, they're great guys yeah and it's uh it's just really cool to see how makers well, Mark know, came- damon i wouldn't say that you were wrong with anything you just said i think uh you know i i i, I understand what you're saying as far as being a one of the first niche brands that our generation is able to grab onto, and I, I would totally agree with that. I also would agree with the fact that I don't think anybody out there would not want to be as successful, you know? Yeah. And to, to we, we make whiskey to taste good. We make whiskey to enjoy it with our friends. We make whiskey to share stories with. We make whiskey to celebrate with. And, you know, it, it all um, luckily pans out to hopefully being a profitable company in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting to think about what some of these uh, newer small companies might do and, you know, 20 50 years you know that's right that's right i would love to be able to drive up to waco texas and see uh chip and those guys uh living high on the hog at their distillery (laughs) (laughs) um so what's next for uh for you for you i mean you've got the kentucky derby coming up but you you must be busy planning parties for that that is a pretty busy time of year actually yeah we're doing several events uh this uh, this year, as we always do, um, one of the biggest ones that we've been a partner with ever since I got back down to Texas with Makers, um, we work with uh, my friend David Allen, who is also known as the Tipsy Texan. Oh, I know David. a local uh, authority on all things uh, imbibed and bon vivant lifestyle down here. And uh, he uh, he throws, we co-host a great derby party every year and have a lot of fun, and so I'm looking forward to working with him again. There's something that we do called the Dizzy Derby, and I can't tell you what it is over the phone because I don't <laughs> want anybody else to steal our idea. But the Dizzy Derby is a sight to behold. If you guys can ever make it down to Austin for one of our derby parties, it is it is a lot of fun. And this year, I mean, it actually, Austin's going to be crazy because it's, I believe it's next Sunday, which is the 5th, which is also Cinco de Mayo. Well, yep, the Derby is the first Saturday in May every year. And this year, we have the unique pleasure of... Uh, 
Cinco de Mayo hitting, hitting the same day. So it's going to be a big day. We people down here, we love our bourbon, we love our tequila, and it's it's going to be wild, man. I have to do it like a a bourbon mezcal julep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We actually have uh, have a, another place, a couple of uh, bars down here that I'm working with. That one of them will be featuring a makerita. So you can have your maker's mint julep, and then you can turn around and have a margarita with maker's <laughs> mark made in it, which, uh, trust me, tastes pretty darn good. That sounds good, man. Yeah. Um, so uh, any other plans you got coming up for uh, any maker's mark or beam or anything well, new and exciting that you can talk about? That's sure, not well, fancy? absolutely. Uh, you know, um, Maker's 46 continues to be out there. We're really excited about uh, Knob Creek's rye coming out this summer. Right. That's going to be a big thing. It just won, uh, you know, best rye at the San Francisco Spirits competition. So that was uh, uh, that's congrats. really exciting for us. And, you know, any, 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 any new whiskey, especially good whiskey, is uh, good for everyone. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, I, you know, I usually... Uh, Get excited around this time of year because we start, we actually start seeing a lot of these new products coming out right before the mm-hmm. summer. So, uh, you know, and it, it, I think it also has something to do, you know, coinciding with, I mean, I guess all the, the spirits competitions start around now, but it's also the spirits conferences, like, like we said, like Tales of the Cocktail yeah. and, uh, the Manhattan Cocktail Classic. Um, it's just a really, it's, it's really exciting time of year. Plus, you know, I mean, it's, it's just exciting in general. It's summer. It's coming. Exactly. You, know, you, <laughs> you, you thaw out, the bones warm up a little bit, you get moving around, shaking, and uh, eventually you need to go and go have yourself a drink. Absolutely. And speaking of which, I think it's about time for me to do that. I uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, Adam. Uh, it's been too long since I've seen you or hung out with you. Can't wait to see you soon so we can uh, share a Maker's Mark or... Hell, I guess we'll be having a Knob Creek ride next time I see you. Uh, we might just. We, maybe we'll have. How about we have both? We'll do both. <laughs> All, <laughs> All right. right. Great to hear from you. Such <laughs> you a pleasure. Too. Adam Harris. Thanks so much. This has been the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. Until next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. That cat is high.